being social blind, being blind in any instinct, you're cut, you're cutting yourself off from a huge range of body level wisdom and intelligence. Yes. And you fill in the blanks. Like being comfortable with the sexual instinct feels like being more comfortable with the tension between polarities. It's almost like you, you have to be able to recognize polarities, but also be able to move between them. And there's kind of like a serpentine, like mercurial way that you can flip polarities. And that's what makes something erotic. That's what makes something hot. The Big Hormone Enneagram. I'm John Lukovich, 415, sexual self-prez, 458 traffic. I'm David Gray, self-prez sexual, 9 with one wing, 974 traffic. What up, it's Emika, I'm an 8 wing 7, sexual self-prez, with 854 fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy, I'm a 3 wing 4, self-prez social, with 369 traffic. Hi, I'm Alexandra, I'm a social self-preservation, 9 wing 1, 963 traffic. If you like or hate us, make sure you go like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and make sure you leave us a review. Welcome, Big Hormone. Uh, we are uh, doing plugs again. Uh, please buy my book. Please rate and review my book. It goes a long way. And uh, Josh and I started Enneagram School, so sign up for upcoming stuff or to get uh, uh, recordings of the last thing we did, which is uh, the EnneagramSchool.com. Uh, and Alexandra is on mute right now, but Alexandra has SaturnRule9.com where she does astrology and Enneagram readings for people. Also wanted to mention uh, Kristen Oberly and myself are doing a revised Trifix booklet that uh, Kickstarter for that, raising money for that. And uh, you can look for that, I think, by looking up uh, Kristen on Ink Story Rebel on Kickstarter. I'll put up the link okay. to the in the show description and also uh the podcast she's doing with kaisa and sammy is actually really good i don't know if you guys have gotten a chance to check it out but absolutely worth a listen that got their second episode out now what's it called it's called sinsomnia insomnia okay cool. yeah i have a link to that as well uh gaa dark arts academy learning how to become dangerously perceptive and skilled at seeing the types clearly. Um, we recently did a class on some of the trifixes. We've done Flatline, we've done DJ, Bermuda, and we're going to do either Stockholm or Middle Manager next. Uh, we did a class recently also looking at some of the type twins or how certain types can look similar and whether or not they're similar types or not. Um, and we recently also started a Discord server for DAA members, you can find that in the members area. And uh, if you've been typed by us or has, haven't been typed by us and you want to understand your typing better, the DAA library uh, will help you get a deeper understanding of your typing. So you can get all that information at anygrammar.com. So I just uh, wanted to have my friend Julie on here for people listening who uh, are one of our most popular and beloved episode series last year was uh, Julie doing the Divine Feminine. And so Julie and I were hanging out the other day, and she was telling me about a retreat, an in-person retreat she's leading. And so I thought people that uh, are probably really hungry for stuff like that and 
might be really interested. So, Julio, I don't know if you want to say hello and uh, talk about it. Yeah. Hi. Thanks, John. Um, yeah, so I'm teaching a retreat this summer, and it's called Alive in Your Medicine. And the idea is that everyone in, is medicine for something. Everyone and everything is medicine for something. And so um, it's about coming into greater contact with the medicine that you are. Um, and we'll be, it's not explicitly an Enneagram retreat. And, you know, the Enneagram is foundational to everything I do. So we're going to be working with the centers. We're going to be working with the instincts um, and really, and, and working a lot with breath, right? Um, so that we can really receive, right? When we talked um, last year about the feminine, we talked about this um, uh, fundamental way of receiving. Um, so we'll, we'll be working with receiving the breath, receiving from nature. It's going to be at this really beautiful retreat center outside of Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah. So we'll have, you know, time to be together and, and do what we can only do in groups and also time in the afternoon to just enjoy the beautiful place that we'll be at. So, um, yeah, if that's something that interests you, I would love to have you join me. Um, and you can check it out further on riverbendcoaching.com. And uh, so first, I want to say that for listeners, like Julie and I went through the same breathwork school, and Julie is a certified professional breathworker. Um, but I was curious, uh, like when you mean everything's medicine, or that we're all medicine for each other or something like that, what, is, what do you mean by that? Is that like think- Emica is medicine for sixes? <laughs> Maybe. <We'll> see. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're muted, Emika. I said, don't put that curse on me. <laughs> Come on, sixes, we need you guys. <laughs> but do I need you? You do. That's, you that's do. the question. You do. I was thinking about this because, you know, often when I work with people, especially new people, and I have them lie down. And like the first thing I'm asking them to do is to sort of land themselves somewhere from innocence, right? From this kind of kinesthetic innocence and not to be expecting anything and not to be imagining or um, judging. And um, so, yeah, it's like, you know, I was taught. And I'm sure, John, you were taught that, you know, we always start with eight in the Enneagram. And so it's like starting with this innocent heart um, rather than the lustful heart, um, I think is fundamental to, to what I do. Um, but and so so like this is the way we're medicine for each other. Right. So like, I, you know, that that life force of eight is um, a beautiful thing for sixes. I'm married to an eight. And, you know, sometimes I ask him about stuff and he's like, boom, boom, boom. You know, like, what are you even worrying about that for? Yeah. What are you worried about? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and then, you know, there are ways that uh, I tell him, like, yeah, you could be a little more still. That might be good for you. Maybe. <laughs> so this is like some simple ways that we're medicine for each other. And um, like even you know, people who work with plants, like there's this idea that um, even when weeds grow up in a certain area, 
like that those weeds are sort of responding to what's needed in the environment. Like mm-hmm. we might view them as, as weeds, but actually um, they're what can survive in that area and what that area needs to kind of grow and repollinate. So, you know, we, we, we each have some medicine. And uh, one of the things I was writing John about the other day is that often our wounds and our medicine are very tightly intertwined. And so, um, you know, one of the things that breath can do for us is, is allow us to be more relaxed in everything that we've been given and to really kind of um, transform some of the energy uh, that feels challenging or, or difficult into something that's more powerful and more like medicine for ourselves and for others. Cool. And uh, I want to also, you know, add like, Julie, you and I have done a lot of in-person retreats and stuff over the years but and i I think we're kind of like used to that but i'm sure a lot of people who are listening haven't done any kind of in-person retreat stuff so like what could somebody who's never done something like that kind of expect or maybe experience that you can't through podcasts or reading or something like that like what's the difference between an in-person event well you know there's there's a real um you know, we're, we're energy fields, all of us, we're energy fields. And so there's like a real sense of something palpable when a group of people get together with an intention to um, be present. Even, even like when I do group breathwork online, it really kind of, there's something larger that gets created that carries people. And so, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons to do group work is that, um, it's, it's really great to do individual work or, or to do self-study. And, um, you know, we're fundamentally relational creatures, even if social is your blind spot. We are oh, never not in relationship. And so to kind of consciously be in relationship with other people, to um, all be working together, um, it makes a big difference. Yeah, I'll say um, for me, uh, you know, Julie and I went to the same breathwork school and it wasn't just a breathwork school. It was a lot more than that and went through a lot of different stuff, both together and separate. And, you know, the, the teacher of that school was a two. And for me, it was really uh, crucial and important to get out a lot of my comfort zones because I was doing a lot of just, there's just something about, especially as a withdrawn type, uh, having to be in the presence of other people, to work on yourself, to be seen in certain ways. And, you know, not forced, it's not the right word, but challenged, I guess, to access parts of myself that if I'm just hanging out with my friends or whatever, uh, I don't have to pull out of myself. You know, I don't have to be as heartfelt and, you know, to, to be, um, to be with strangers or relative strangers vulnerabilities is also like a really interesting thing. And so it does, it also does create a lot of deep connections that um, it's just shocking how like shallow most people's relationships are. And so to have these places where you can go really deep um, are pretty special and rare. So I, and, and Julie's an amazing teacher. Julie and I taught together a lot and uh, we, you know, done retreats together. And so uh, I've never been to Asheville, but I'm sure it's awesome. So if anybody's yeah. curious, just hit her up. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And I I just want to say one more thing about that, that, you know, part of our culture's emphasis on 
individualism means that like we all get locked in our own space and we think we're the only ones who feel X, Y, or Z. And so it is really powerful to sort of be in the presence of other people and to see like, oh yeah, like I'm not the only one who feels this and like, wow, this person's experiencing that. And um, we do learn that we're not alone. Like, you know, our, our, our configuration is specific to us, but there's a lot more that we have in common than we think. And that kind of can relax any sense that like, you know, I'm uniquely messed up. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. <clears throat> yeah. Thanks for coming on. So it's com. Riverbendcoaching.com. And you could write me, Julie, at riverbendcoaching.com. And what are the dates for that? It's um, August 31st through September 4th. So it's over Labor Day weekend. Awesome. Yeah. Thank oh, you. Cool. Thanks, Julie. Thanks. And you guys have an idea of what to talk about? Because I have, I have a few that are kind of vague, but potential. we could just, you yeah. know, piggyback on any of the ideas that we've been riffing on for the last month or so whatever you got if, it, yeah, if there's juice let's go for it bullet points. yeah it's kind of a riff on what we've been talking about but um i was participating on your discord and <laughs> there were uh it was like a whole bunch of sexual blinds talking about that's all everyone is attraction <laughs> yeah. and it was really really interesting like i i talked first i all right let me trace my thinking so I have a client, and she is a social self-pres nine. We've been working on getting integrating her blind spot and like practicing having her notice people from an attraction point of view. And she said she started to notice like, oh, there's a difference between finding somebody like attractive and being attracted. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that right. you know, one of the things that was shocking to her that I told her was, you're gonna find very few people genuinely attractive. You know, you're going to be genuinely attracted to very few people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's been a thing. But she used this phrase to describe how she had determined attractiveness, which was, she called it a weird algebra, where it was kind of like they fit certain things, like they're pleasant to look at, like they're, you know, handsome or pretty or whatever. And, you know, maybe like they, they check off certain boxes, like there was somebody that she was interested in who she started recognizing had this kind of punk aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And she was finding the punk attitude that came with the aesthetic attractive, but not necessarily the human being that was using the attitude. And it was like kind of a fascinating revelation for her. Mm. Um, and I thought weird, I, weird algebra just like stuck in my head. Like yeah. that's what, So then I asked p- people in the shit show, and um, so I, I asked... The shit show if they resonated with that weird algebra thing and the girls yes and then kiernan described as a male that it's not that's like secondary and that what happens first is there's this kind of like is she just like hot enough to like i could like masturbate there you know what i mean like mm. i could just kind of like have that level of just she's pretty enough or attractive enough and then it gets into the algebra thing mm. but even still in both cases it's like the sense of attractiveness is very, it's like, it's like very di- distant or it's like, it, it's like assembling attractiveness from factors that are outside of oneself and not like really coming from the inside. It sounds right. like energetically angular, you know what I mean? As opposed to uh, serpentine or something, the idea of algebra, 
I'm seeing like squares and shit. I can't yeah, even. But, yeah, but it's like an assemblage of like outer squares, and so it's like you're tying, you're you're putting the shapes together, but they're not coming from maybe maybe a little bit, but not coming from like an inner body felt sense. And right. so then, um, I think riffing on on. So I wrote something, and then I threw it in the in the Discord, and then people talked about it, asked questions about being sexual blind. And then I like did something else, and I like, came back to like two hundred messages on Discord or people talking, and it was like all these people talking about like sexual blindness, and I don't even remember specifically what they were saying, but it just felt so um, removed, removed, all those words, yes, and because <laughs> I was just as you were explaining this, I was like, this must be what the sexual instinct feels to sexual blind people because it's not computing like what you're trying to articulate yeah doesn't make sense like i i have i have more to say but that's just my initial like body reaction to what you're saying and and that's part of what i mean when i'm saying angular i'm saying it at the level of the body yeah like that you can't do like right angles in the body mm-hmm. you know what i mean i'm imagining mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, make computations, right? Oh, I see, like an exactness, like a precision, something like that. Yeah, yeah, because the the feeling of formulaic, the feeling of attraction is that there is something inherently like a chemical reaction, and so the idea that someone is attractive enough to masturbate to doesn't make sense in this in the sense that it's like either someone does it for me or they don't and it has nothing to do with whether they're attractive enough it's like is is the chemical reaction between me and this person triggering an uh an arousal response for me and some people can be really attractive and that mix is just not doing anything yep Mm -hmm. totally Mm -hmm. yep yeah it feels um like observational is, is for some reason the word that mm. I, I keep using like even the even the idea of um like looking at someone and decide like the deciding is still there's still <laughs> yes. an analytical process to right that. right yeah. so it's not like feeling um like your sense of effectiveness but it's like a process of like do i approve is she hired for the job or mm. not yeah. it's like yeah. deciding instead of it's just happening or right. it's not yeah and 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 so um a couple things that came up for me were, well, yeah, there's more to say on, on, on what we're talking about, but also just came up for me of like trying to describe attraction because, um, and like what that experience is because we use that a lot. And I don't know, it is kind of hard to pin down. And I mean, even speaking for myself, uh, uh, being social blind, even though it's like, oh yeah, attraction, duh, uh, there are ways that, being social blind, kind of like our metaphor that we used last time about like having the lights on or off. Mm-hmm. Being social blind, being blind in any instinct, you're, cut, you're cutting yourself off from a huge range of body level wisdom and intelligence. Yes. And you fill in the blanks mm. when you don't have that mm. awareness and you project and you bring in your object relations and you bring in all this stuff. Mm. And so... Um, being social blind, uh, you know, there are ways that I was like, oh yeah, this is attraction, but it was also kind of full of fucked up junk from my own psychology. And there's a phenomenon that's been really kind of, um, funny or amusing or interesting for myself being with Alexandra and how attracted I am to her, where we've run into like 
like like I like there were there were different women that I like found various levels of attractive, you know, just like, oh yeah, she's cute or whatever. And I remember we like like I you know, running into the, some of these women, like uh I'll tell Alexander like, you know, I hope this doesn't trigger you, but like I used to find this girl like really cute and now that we're together I'm like, I can't believe I ever thought she was cute, you know, like, (laughs) because my sense of like what attractiveness is, is just like, it's just, I mean, it's just changed and had more to do with not just social, like, oh, Alexander's really nice, but it's just like, there's more there. And so uh, that's like an interesting thing too, because it's not just like, hey, you know, we have a sexual instinct. Let me tell you about attraction, but also that there's things that sexual types and sexual middles aren't getting as well. You know, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just yeah. thought this was like I know I'm being very long winded, but I thought this was an interesting conversation. Yeah, because you know the thing you said earlier that each instinct has uh, a large dimensional language, and um, and so if you're dominant in an instinct, you're aware of how much nuance and dimension you could explore in that instinct. And so if you, and you're invested in exploring those dimensions. And so as a sexual type, like I'm still discovering different facets and dimensions of what I'm attracted to. And there's an element of, I know that the possibilities are so wide and there's different ways that it can go. Like, and so as a social type, Alexander, I'm sure that there's, you know, all these different dimensions of the social instinct and social dynamics that it feels like an endless exploration that you could discover, you could learn, you could add. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's no different for, I think, all the instincts. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, even going back to John's original, um, I don't know, just like thing that he wanted to share about that weird formula or weird, what did you call it? A weird, what did she call weird it? Algebra. Weird algebra. Yeah. Um, weird algebra. I've noticed just being in like chats and being in conversations and even just like my own like history is that that, algebra is is still using social signifiers to like replace um the sense of effectiveness mm-hmm. um and something mm-hmm. i was thinking about i read something in the discord it just like really weirded me out it was like the phrasing of it was just like very icky to me um and i don't want to just like go into what that was because whatever um but i was thinking that you know we, we talk about blind spot and how we are blind and that instinct and of course that that's true uh, but what happens when we do like develop a certain sense of awareness of it? I think there still is the impulse to go without. You know, like there's still, and especially when we're like triggered or something, it's not that we like re become blind to it. And I obviously know that blind is like a very accurate way to say that. But I do think there's a way that people um, kind of like know the danger and they choose to just like supersede that danger with more of their comfort. Maybe I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but. I'm thinking of um, like self-pressed blinds that they will just go without their sense of self-regulation, their sense of like autonomous self-regulation in order to stay in engagement Mm -hmm. and how they can then look at a, you know, two um, instincts that like have to be engaged and they can see it as like very, very intense when really it's just like a dependency because they refuse to like engage uh, alone, they said, you know, like refuse to self-regulate on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, does that make sense? That was kind of related, kind of. There were a lot of ideas, but that, I mean, that last part was very well said. But I've, I'm kind of, um, you were talking about how people aban- like reabandon their blind spot. Yeah. Go Did without. you mean in the in the context of trying to integrate it, or? 
Yeah, I was trying. I mean, I was admittedly trying to jog like a thought that I had, and I just didn't work all the way. So I'll see if I can. We'll see if that comes back with more fullness. But I just thought, like, um, yeah, like this the sense of like, what does it mean to actually be attracted to somebody, or like, what are the th the metrics, or like, what levels can one be attracted to another, and where is it within the realm of sexual, where is it in the realm of social, where is it in the realm of self pres all those kind of things are kind of. Mm -hmm. kind of interesting because yeah as you were saying emika like this like where do i put that you know so we're talking about like we always talk about traction on this pod and then for somebody listening it's like you know has struggled in their sexual blindness with that to be like yeah yeah traction you know like <laughs> <laughs> yeah it must feel like uh it, you know to hear us talking about it because it seems like you know, when I talk about attraction, it, it, there's so many different colors and different facets and there's different ways that you can be attracted to someone. And so it feels like I'm talking about something that's assumed, but it's right. not like it. And when I see people kind of respond to the things that we talk about, it always feels like uh, being flattened, like all that nuance, all that dimensionality uh, is just, oh, so it's it's about like hooking up with someone out of your relationship or it's about, you know, like sort of like reduce it to some event yeah. versus, you know, this sort of chemical way that you are provoked by someone else and the way that your boundaries can get um, mutated by somebody else. And I mean, the thing that you said about you realizing that people that you were attracted to before that you didn't, feel the same or you didn't think they were cute anymore that's that's what the sexual instinct can do is that someone alters your whole attraction architecture in the sense that mm. and this yeah. has been like a story for yeah. me is that there was a period of my life where i was really attracted to an indian girl and all i could see was indian girls for two three years and that became like the most attractive type for me and i had a different phase because someone got into me and their sort of chemicals infected me and it's like, now I can only see with the eyes of the thing that I'm hooked into. That's kind of what the, I guess what's so risky about the sexual instinct. It, it infects you and it changes, it changes your organs, you know? Yep. Alexander rearranged my guts. <laughs> <laughs> she hit my, the back walls of my heart and rearranged my guts. And, and that's kind of like the uh, narcissism of <laughs> sexual types is that I'm going to infect you to the degree that the apparatus for feeling attraction for someone else is can permanently altered <laughs> so I mean, it's another spot to me where drugs as a metaphor is good for sexual it's like uh a certain person is a really specific designer drug mm. and you go to onto another person or you think about a past person and they didn't hit that same exact high that has a certain, you know, blend of whatever it is, whether it's adrenaline and dopamine or, you know what I mean? Just all of that kind of stuff. Or if you do drugs, a particular drug long enough, your ability to get high on another drug is greatly or completely diminished. Right. Like yeah. if you're addicted to a certain drug, then right. all the other ones sort of pale in comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Now my drugs are, are very soft and <laughs> fluffy. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I can't tell you guys how many times a day John makes Alexandra's a soft woman jokes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 
5,000 times a day. I'll, just, I'll be doing nothing. And he comes out and he's just like, well, what are you doing? You're just being soft? <laughs> just sitting down. <laughs> I'm just existing. Just existing. I'm just sitting down. This is not a thing right now. Yeah, I'm not yeah, well, doing she, anything. She's my drug, so I got to like, I smell her and I touch her and just like Take another hit. And... Someone uh, in that Discord asked me, like, their question was like, all right, if there's like a desire or drive to merge in sexual, what happens after the merging? You know, like, is it just like staying and merging? And, and you know, and I... <laughs> In my, you know, I, I pointed them to my book and stuff where it's like sexual drive couples that drive to merge and drive to separate. And so, you know, there is this like, boom, coming together and then sort of like, like you're rearranged or you're transfigured or transformed in some way. And then it's kind of like peeling off so that you can kind of reconstitute yourself and then come back. And, you know, there's this kind of, it's, it's part of like massaging the, uh, the ego boundaries. Um, mm. I, I wrote this as like I'm I'm working on a potentially another book. It's like a just a dumb overview of the whole Enneagram. And I said something I'm just gonna read from what I wrote. And people related to this that's, that I sent in these different chats, that's why I'm reading it. But sexual blind spot means that despite the desire to merge, the personality is always going to be at a certain distance from others because there will be a sense of the personality being somewhat like an egg shell that cannot crack. A sexual instinct in the blind spot position of the stacking seems like sexual energy is going to be too messy, too chaotic, too violating, and too inciting of irreversible change to achieve the aims of the dominant instinct. Thus, the desire to merge or to be whole, or, or, or to be whole is totally undermined. But an integrated sexual drive provides a person with the discernment of who, who their body and psyche really want to merge with instead of convincing themselves to settle. And so basically like that, uh, that like sense of like the uncrackable egg thing, I think is like what a lot of sexual blind people suffer from. And that the idea at least, or the not idea, but the, one of the guiding functions of the sexual drive is this kind of keeping that like not a hard shell or a brittle shell, but something that has a little bit of elasticity and movement in mm-hmm. it and reinvention and creativity in it. What do you think, baby? I see you pondering. No, I mean, I agree. I agree. Um, Yeah, I mean, it kind of relates to the conversation we had last time where we were talking about like the lights on or off. Um, That was the first time I'd ever thought about it that way. And the idea that or the reason I was resisting the lights off is just because I didn't I just didn't think. I just didn't think there was longevity past the lights Mm. being off. Mm hmm. You know, if it's if things get like remixed and reconstituted, then what I signed up for is now something totally different. And I might not like that. Um, so there was always just like a boundary against having a, around any kind of like metamorphosis, um, which is interesting because I don't know that like, I don't know that the sexual in- instinct is like consciously trying to like, you know, that there, gr- I mean, growth is another way to say that. I don't mean like personality growth necessarily, but sort of like the, um, you know, like fields need to be like burned in order for like new it's, growth to happen. It's, uh. Sexual instinct to me is particularly mercurial. I associate mm-hmm. it with like Hermes and that kind of trickster energy that can, mm, yeah. it's fairly unreliable and it can flash up hot and then mm-hmm. just go down. And it's sort of, there's no reliable sense to it in a way. Yeah. Yeah. 
Alexander's right though that there's a growth element to it. I mean, just, like self prez yeah. is most, you know, it's always growing something, you know, and health improved, and, and then social is always getting more skillful and attuned and connected and so and so. But it's just like the sexual instincts version of growth is like not as linear and not right, it's as not as linear, not as and like it's not as um, it's not as like preconceived. I guess I don't know, like yes. premeditated, maybe. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You don't know what the chemistry is going to make in any moment. Yeah, 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 and yeah. not even like in between two people, but, but like I mean, like oh, yeah. the sexual instinct can show up in like going for the job, or you're really wanting to go out, you know, that kind of stuff. Where like you sure. don't really know what's going to happen, but you're going to do it. Um, and so, yeah, I would think that growth in social instinct, or in just like self-pres blind stackings, is just approached with more um, premeditation. I think. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would, I don't know, I don't know if I'll agree with myself tomorrow, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. But it's just approached a lot more cautiously and intentionally where sexual does have a bit more like, um, you know, I'm going to jump in with my eyes closed and just like see what happens. Mm-hmm. Well, part of it is when I think of growth with the sexual instinct or what kind of growth that the sexual instinct provides is that even not in a relationship, just the sexual instinct as of just existing neutrally as I need to, I need to be hooked into the thing that has a potential to transform my boundaries or a sense of something. Maybe it's an idea that if I jump into this idea, it feels like it has the potential to change um, or recharge the boundaries of something that I'm working on. And it feels like if that potential doesn't, isn't felt, that sense of polarity, isn't felt. Um, my personality will try to find ways to manipulate my situation to f- get that sense. And this is not happening on an intellectual level. Mm-hmm. It's happening on a body level, whereas it's like, this is the oxygen that I need all mm-hmm. the time. And so what sexual types are always trying to do is to find or create polarities mm-hmm. because that sense of tension between me and something else that has potential to uh, completely mutate my boundaries is what like all right that's what feels like i'm alive that's what feels like uh something is happening and and so that doesn't necessarily lead to any consistent building or any stability because you know it's it's who knows what the next thing that's going to do that or where it's going to take you but to your point john like there is like a okay i experienced something that had this sort of self-mutating experience and now i need to you know exhale inhale sort of thing where now i have to integrate that and so even in a relationship you can go through periods of we we went through something that transformed an aspect of our relationship and then you get to another equilibrium where you're seeing each other and there's some stability and then here's another thing that's going to you know transform an aspect of our relationship and so I look at my friendships that way. Like they stay interesting because there are these periods where we're, you know, every now and then having some kind of thing that transforms the dynamic, mm-hmm. but doesn't really prevent us from still being connected. It's like the Esther Perel thing. I think it's, she's, there's some, uh, I don't know, basic formula attraction plus obstacle equals desire. Mm. So, there's like continually some new thing that comes up that means you both have to reconstitute or 
have to push through something, bust through a membrane or something. And so it's not, it's not like a steady, like with social and self-pres, there's more of a steady trajectory of yeah. going up a ladder, building something or something like that. Do I bust through your membrane? Baby? <laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> saw that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I know. I saw both of like the corners of your mouth turned up. Glimmer in my eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a twinkle in John's eye, and then I could tell when Emma, when Emika also caught on of like, oh, John's moment is coming. <laughs> Loading up. Yep. She's subjected to so many of these dumb <laughs> Cocked and loaded. <laughs> David, please, um, don't please, feed the beast. No. But, but so, yeah, so I agree with all that because like, um, so one of the things that's been interesting, you know, I work with a lot of sexual blind people who like, because of my book, come to me specifically to work on their sexual blind spot. And like I've been working with a number of uh, of women who are head types who are sexual blind, mm. and they'll self describe their minds as very masculine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like they're very you know like m- like just highly competent, really like that like piercing whatever kind of intelligence, and um, and you know that that they and they can you know in in dating and stuff really struggle because they like intimidate men and all this kind of stuff like this and one of the things that's been interesting is you know all the instincts are in the body and so as we've worked to get more in touch with the body and this is not me just imposing my interpretations onto them this is like emergent co-emergent through our our sessions but like Mm -hmm. recognizing that as they get more in their body there's like a a a more of a um, pronounced feminine energy in them that is still it's like their minds are still as you know quote-unquote masculine by their own words or whatever i'm not you mm-hmm. know but they're it's held in more of a, like an, a, an, a, a female body and mm-hmm. like like a feminine like i mean there have always been feminine but it's like it's got this extra quality to it mm-hmm. and one of these women um was shared a very something i thought was very interesting where she said something about how she is a, you know, like a, a diehard feminist, but she started to realize through getting more into her body, into her sexual instinct, that a lot of her view, uh, her way of embodying her feminism was in a kind of gender neutral, polarity neutral way mm-hmm. and reacting to and what she said was maybe her her father's view of femininity which was weak or something and so not going to be that mm-hmm. gonna, you know and so now she like i don't know where she's at presently in this journey but like last time we talked she was talking about how she's recognizing like a feminine feminism and i'm not trying to be like oh feminist should be more feminine or some kind <laughs> right. of bro talk right, like right. that i'm yeah. like this is just me trying to recount her experience like as I, as i understand it and what's come up together but it's been an interesting thing where she's learning to um hold polarity whatever that polarity is because like you know in 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 a in a real alive sexual instinct dynamic like alexander and i have like i'm not just like i'm the masculine one she's the feminine one like it switches and it, right it's, or you know it's mercurial and organic and sometimes i'm like take take me baby you know and whatever <laughs> um 
and and it, that's but it's like it's like a place instead of having kind of more like a neutral place it's like being a the body being a a, a house for polarity to show up and to mm-hmm. to dance in and to be more uh hands off about where that polarity wants to go and that it can hold these other centers that can have their own flavor and characteristic but that in the instinct in the body it's got its own thing going on is that making sense yeah i mean it's to me it's partly i'm not i don't know if i'm gonna have the words for it but i can imagine that kind of coming into the body that you're talking about specifically let's say even in the example you're talking about with say social self-pres six or whatever that coming into that uh, feminine aspect or energy in the body in a really planted way, that actually is much more fully embodying personal power, like mm-hmm. just real, you know, force and self-assertion, right? And so there's the feminism right there, you know what I mean? Right. And, yeah. um, you know, and this is also true, been true with uh, sexual blind men I've worked with, too. It's, you know, that they're feeling like it's it's interesting, uh, like finding finding a different kind of masculinity. And it's interesting because mm. like when I would teach friends to dance, uh, I would always try to like, you know, like men, male friends like to dance. Uh, often the thing that would come up uh is like a lot of rigidity in the pelvis in in men and a lot of like inflexibility and you know the fear is of being feminine or being perceived as feminine right, right. like mm. if i dance and i just look like i'm yeah. just like losing myself to the music uh right, right. i'm not sexy at all and all this other shit what i what i started teaching is like uh that's like that is sexy for a woman is to like like kind of be possessed by the music or whatever but for men who like you have to have the feminine in your body mm-hmm. and you have to like have the masculine part like in like being a container for that feminine inside but it's like you your hips do have to like lose themselves to the music but like maybe this other part of your body is like is in command of all that and it's like making room for that feminine to express itself in the body so it's like to dance well at least my experience as a man is you have to have both polarities in your body you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying yeah, it's like being comfortable with the sexual instinct feels like being more comfortable with the tension between polarities. It's almost like you you have to be able to recognize polarities, but also be able to move between them. And there's kind of like a serpentine, like mercurial way that you can flip polarities. And that's what makes something erotic. <clears throat> that's what makes something hot. And I've recognized that, you know, paying attention to the things that really get me going is is that there are multiple polarities uh and and gender is just one polarity Mm -hmm. but they're you know personality aspects that might represent polarities for you but it's not like you're parked on one side of that polarity it's that you're aware and engaging with the tension between opposites and like dancing comfortable with it and it feels like sexual blindness is uh, flattening or not comfortable with the tension between polarities and so you either occupy like a neutral middle to mm-hmm. not experience mm-hmm. sort of like the tension because the tension is what kind of like gets that you know like oh uh going that magnetism and the tension of, flipping too polarities. yes yeah yeah mm-hmm. and so that i think on maybe on a body level feels uncomfortable it feels like oh what's going to happen that sense of like this could go 
which, you know, whatever which way. So you either park on one side of the polarity or you just sit in the middle where you don't have to experience any of that tension. And maybe there's a, a way to uh, get people to feel that tension between polarities, be able to flip back and forth between certain polarities that we can identify. Mm. I, I, um, if that ever even makes sense to anyone who's sexual, <laughs> I might still be speaking a different fucking language. Does that make sense, Alexander? I think it makes sense. I think it still would need to be like teased out a little more. And I'm not even, I'm not really sure how to do it at the moment. There's a way that like, um, there's a way that the tension you're speaking about, like it might be interesting for sexual blinds, even like the triple reactive, you know, reactive types or whatever. But there, there might actually be a way where sexual blinds need to be comfortable with a certain level of disagreement. It's probably going to feel like disagreement, actually. I don't mean like social disagreement, but I mean like, oh, we're not trying to like be aligned, which is mm -hmm. what social oh, is. Yeah, right. Or we're not trying to like make each other feel safe or make each other feel comfortable, which is what self-pres is. Like mm -hmm. sexual is that kind of disruptive force. And so like to feel disrupted all the time is, you know, not the most yeah. comfortable. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's a big part of just, I don't know, to me, sexual instinct banter is kind of, I mean, it's as unconscious, but at the same time, I'm making a point of disagreeing and mm -hmm. saying the opposite of what the person thinks I would say right now. Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah, that's why the three of you are so obnoxious. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Nancy why, was I'm recounting. An angel. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy was recounting her experiences of uh, sugaring and, you know, these mm. guys paying her a lot of money and what they were asking for. And a lot of them just wanted to just get really. Uh, demeaning and just call her a piece of shit and you know she said that one guy was just like oh, this is this is all women are good for and just like going really in and just all in yeah all in and i was like okay why is that it because part of what they were doing by all that shit talk was creating a sexual edge or a sexual tension mm -hmm. you know and that you know that can be like an opposition Yes. Yeah. Not at, at that's a, a clarity. A, that's erotic. Right. And you get all these uh, BDSM sort of scenarios where people create, uh, like in BDSM, where it's like someone who's practically beating somebody else up and people can experience a polarity that way. So, just like sexual blind ways of trying to f create a boxed, boxed polarity to create yeah. sexual mm -hmm. tension in a compartmentalized way that isn't sort of like the free f free forming um way that you know integrated sexual instinct would do so which would be more risky because it's not like oh it's it this person that i'm paying money to talk shit to one day on a weekend that i'm right. you know, so fucking exactly. weird <laughs> exactly and yeah. even i mean even bdsm has all of these like kind of rules kind of what mm. i'm thinking what's coming up is that like those kinds of i don't know avenues for lack of a better term um, are ways to kind of safely release a polarity you're already holding inside of you, but mm. you don't have the social um, right. like container to do, you know, it's socially inappropriate to do so. So these are containers where you can let that part of you that is, that is actually pretty polar to what you're experiencing on a day-to-day -day level out in a healthy, like safe, appropriate way that's not going to like fuck up your life yeah. because mm. that's what sexual binds are afraid of. And that's why it comes out in that setting of, for yeah. example, sugaring, 
right? It's like we're in this square where we do this thing, right? And then the mm -hmm. rest of my life is not this. Exactly. They would, yeah. they would shit talk her and then they'd have sex? They'd have sex and then they, you know, take care of her afterwards. Uh, so it was very much agreed that, hey, I'm paying you, so yeah. I'm going to say demeaning things to you. Uh, yeah. and... John pays me for the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Except I say really sweet things. He's pretending he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I just say really John. sweet things. <laughs> I was like, so there's a market for the shit talk and the roasting. Is yeah. that, that blows my that? mind. I, yeah. like, I didn't actually know that was a, this, that was oh, yeah. a part of the thing. Dom, well, it's like kind of like it's the dominatrix mm -hmm. thing. It's a different. But wait, she would shit talk them, or they would shit no, talk her. But it's the reverse. It's just that's. It's just, I've, I've yeah. never heard of that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's so fucking weird. I mean, it's yeah. got to be like I imagine that's like. I mean, Grant, I'm not any kind of professional on this, but I. You have to imagine <laughs> that it's like. Um, okay, wait. Let me under, Let me make sure I'm understanding it. They would shit talk her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They okay. would say demeaning so, things to her, like you're not good for anything you know no. you're only good for sex you're just yeah you're just which is true esther pro kind of she like kind of fuck off david all women i'm all women that's all their attention on this call help me help me you can hear me help me no one's coming to help you you're lost Whatever, I'm the real Dom here, so. <laughs> um, what I was going to say was, um, Esther Perel kind of talks about it. I'm for sure going to butcher it because it's been a while, but she kind of talks about, I wonder with these men, if they're like waking, <laughs> it's definitely not, they're not asleep, whatever. If they're like normal, like day-to-day -day lives, right, that does not have the sexual component just built into it, it's probably, there's probably a lot of... Um, there's probably a lot of pressure to be like very polite. There's probably a lot of tension that comes from like not getting to totally. release a certain amount of energy in like a healthy way, mm -hmm. you know? So chances are that, granted, I don't know these, if these men are like in relationships, I, it's possible. I feel like likely that they are, I don't know, whatever. They're, most um, of them were single. Okay. But I imagine that maybe they feel constricted by the amount of like etiquette that they have to uphold. But and so this is the compartmentalized way to like assume their their own sexual instinct, which is disruptive. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Am yeah. I? Does that making sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of a. The, I feel like we're toeing a, a line here. The, they're, <laughs> but they're whatever. Might have been single, but they're probably the kind of guys who are in the workplace just constantly, mm -hmm. you know. And so it's got that a similar what would you call it boundary around it as far as you know what's what's allowed as far as yeah. interaction. You know, I think a lot of these guys are paying for a sense of, all right, I'm paying you, so there's no risk. I get to say the thing that I've always wanted to say. And, yep. you know, I get to, to be the, the sexual beast that I've, you know, wanked off to being, mm -hmm. but I couldn't be in my regular life. Basically learning how to be disruptive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like be obnoxious, yeah. like the fucking right. three of you. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm not obnoxious. I don't know what you're talking about. Please. <laughs> it's an interesting topic because articulating the sexual instinct is always going to be one of our biggest challenges because mm -hmm. it is a slippery idea and most people are sexual blind and there's always going to be a sense that it's never clear enough. I mean yeah. just just imagine how hard <laughs> yeah, right. how hard we've had a time, how hard of a time we've had trying to like grasp the social instinct and even 
as we get to grasp it, every year it feels like I'm starting over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I have to like yeah. relearn the social that, instinct. I mean, that's part of what I'm getting at too. It's it's archetypal when I'm suggesting, you know, that uh, or associating sexual with, you know, Hermes and trickster and all of that kind of energy, that mercurial stuff. Like even the definition eludes, you know, form. It's like mm-hmm. shapeshifter kind of energy where you're never quite going to be able to pin it to the wall on a piece of paper, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, the point of it is to not be boxable. Yeah. Right. right. But the way that somebody sexual blind needs to experience it or to understand it is experientially, mm-hmm. which is about getting into their body and <coughs> is about confronting you know, like I have those little formulas in my book that are like, you know, if I'm, uh, you know, sexual blind and social dominant, uh, my fear is that it's going to be too sloppy or whatever, that I'm going to be ostracized and abandoned. So, mm-hmm. like, you have to confront some of your dominant instincts' fears mm-hmm. around what the blind spot instinct will mean about the dominant instinct in order to kind of get that emotional barrier. Not, you can't totally jump over it, but you get through it a little bit so you can get into a place where your body feels safe enough to experience the instinct as it is, you know? Mm-hmm. Over the weekend, this is one of the things that me and John discussed as like uh, an experiential example of the sexual instinct. Uh, and people have talked about, you know, their uh, experience with porn. And I've said that is an extremely honest physical reaction. I mean, you might... <laughs> You might watch, search for certain porn, and you might think that someone's attractive, but the porn that you really get off to, not because you convince yourself to get off to, that your yeah. body couldn't help itself, is That's getting- That's the truth serum. That is what you want to fuck. Yeah. The final tab. <laughs> <laughs> final tab. Peak, you know, peak it's tab. A, it's almost like you're watching porn and you're trying to convince yourself to, oh, maybe I should, you know, get off to this person. But then you come across a video or something that y- your body has a mind of its own and ma- makes you do it. Yeah. That's, that's your sexual instinct right there. Yeah. There's a way that sometimes I wonder if, I'm sure that this is true, but I guess just to say it, um, I wonder if there's a lot of sexual blinds that see their social. Okay. So there's the, the, the theory is like you have the thing that you're attracted to and then people either approve of it or disapprove of it with their own social instinct. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm, I feel like I had a better way of saying that in my head and then it just went away. But it's something like, um, like the social instinct allows you to justify or not justify your sexual <laughs> impulse and your right. sexual urge right. and your sexual actual attraction. But, and so maybe that's the difference. Like you ha- you're into that like, you know, maybe thing you don't socially approve of yourself, but that's what you're into. It's like post-doc clarity and you're like, what have I done? Yeah, yes. Why, yes. why did I come to that? that yeah, it, like, that oh my God, I'm a horrible person or I'm like, yeah. a, I'm, a, I'm a fucking freak or something like that. Midget threesomes, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, it does, like for, for the sexual blinds listening, it doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, the sick thing is what I really want. No, it's of like, course not. It can be yeah. more just like, oh yeah, like... uh my girlfriend is blonde, but I'm always getting to this, you know, women with dark hair is like what's really calling <laughs> exactly. me. You know what I mean? Something like sure. that. Yeah, it could yeah. be, it doesn't have to be like, yeah, like, oh yeah, the, you know, 
Oh, yeah, I actually just... need an electrocution or, yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> something like that. That's what will get you off. No, but it's just like, <laughs> there's all those milk. ways the mind can interfere or judge or whatever. Or like be like, Step-sister. oh. Stepsister. Uh-huh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get that. Yeah, that fucking shit is so crazy. Stepmoms. Yeah. Stepmoms. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, it's like it's like there's there's like you know physical types or there's energetic types or something like that, and it's like what do you, what really gets you there? I mean, we've said it probably a million times before, but there's a there's one angle on the instincts is that they're mortal enemies of each other. Mm-hmm. You know, like self pres also besides social can have its own prejudice against sexual instinct you know Mm -hmm. like how it might drain resources or energy (laughs) or uh or cause you know financial instability if you indulged or whatever yeah yeah there's to me there's polarity on a personality level like there's certain personalities that you might find attractive and then there's polarities on a body level so you, you like that you get the you get triggered or you get provoked by certain bodies and then people can get attracted to each other on a social level too. Like this person is att- attractive to me because I like what kind of person they are. Cause I mean, we've talked about that where you can be really turned on by somebody that you don't like their personhood or you're turned off by their right. personhood in some weird way. So it's attraction is a really mysterious thing. And also you could meet someone that you're attracted to that doesn't fit anything that you've been attracted to before, you know, starts a whole new, because everything you've been ever been attracted to, there was a first person that represented the first time that you were attracted to that thing and began maybe a new pattern for you until the next time you meet somebody else who it's like, I didn't know I could be into this. Mm. And so that's kind of like the unpredictable nature of really paying attention to how you're being affected by uh, sexual tension with a certain polarity. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know I'd be into fucking mil- MILFs. <laughs> I would not have predicted that for myself. Now you're on a roll. That's no pattern. That, that roll has come to an end. Oh. <laughs> Knock on wood. It's just only in the porn world. That's it. It's oh, not okay. happening in, in the real putting world. Putting it in anymore. a box. In the sure. box, yes. I mean, don't, you don't have to socially justify yourself. You can just be into MILFs, you know? Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm into MILFs, but I'm not into MILFs in my actual. Not trying to right. raise any kids. Yeah. Sure, you, sure, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All you right. Pay, you pay the MILF and you do it in this one confined space. Yeah. To milf, milf out. You know, you can be a MILF without kids or wanting to be a mom. See, that's a distinction right there. Oh, it's not about the about children. That. It's about <laughs> it's about the the energy of MILFdom. And look who's gonna pay a MILF right. and <laughs> Part of the experience is that he has to wake her kids up and make them breakfast and get them ready for school. <laughs> oh, yeah. school. I'm not, I don't want to be a father, but. <laughs> hey, Alexander, you know about uh, this one reality show, MILF Manor? Oh, yeah. I do not. No, oh, you I need to check it out. Know. I, I, You're going to know. the whole damn season. Man. We're going to do. We did, it's, it's horrible. We're doing it for DAA. That's why. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Joseph, this is Joseph's idea. Yeah. Oh my God! Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Milf Manor. Milf, Milf Manor. Manor. It's a show. Oh man. The premise so is that uh, a group of, I think, twenty mothers with their sons, go to this reality TV show where the sons date 
other mothers other and the mothers, mothers date other sons. But the but they also they don't know that that's what's coming. Neither group knows oh that that's God. what's coming. Yeah. And so oh they there's a reveal Lord. on the first um episode where they realize oh my god the sons realize my mother's are my mother's here and vice versa do they hook up with each other yes oh <laughs> yeah and so it's in uh, front of their mother and in front of the son right it's all happening yeah wow. oh my god so yeah, yeah. It's, we're going to type is... those people and uh <laughs> And yeah, the people, good, the people are job. all just trash. I mean, they're just, I mean, oh, there's yes. just nothing well, yes. redeeming or interesting <laughs> no, about any of them. They're just horrible. Do they know that the song, the, the show was called Milf Manor? Like, they, <laughs> like how do, do, do you know? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, a lot of times they don't. A lot of times they're just, they're just like bright eyed yeah. and bushy tailed, ready for, yeah. ready to be on TV. And then you find out the premise of the show you're going to yeah. be on. God, I think they just starts. thought they were going, wow. going to do a dating show, just generic yeah. dating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Alexander was That's saying wild. That... What are the producers doing? Like, oh, we gotta make sure that the the mother son combo shows up. Hey, I, they're so trying to, bu- and it makes a bunch of conflict. So it's perfect. Oh, of course, for reality it does. TV. Yeah. Oh, hey, this God. incest trend—they're yeah. trying to fucking hop on on the incest trend because there's money there. That's it. God. Women who have the capacity to have children, but who do not have children. That's... Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, my bad. Okay. I thought that's... when you said mothers, I'd like to fuck. It included a woman that has given birth to a child. You don't understand it. Spiritually mothers. Oh, not no, I understand. Mothers. That's the main thing. Emica's thinking about the spirituality of the woman. Yeah. Mothers. Yeah. Spiritual yeah. That's where I'm operating yeah. from, okay? Yeah. Energetic yeah. milf energy. Got Energetic. Yeah. High, yeah. high vibration. Yeah. Vibrationally, yeah. milk. You're gonna find your Brazilian woman with milk energy. Yeah, with a yeah. with a with a high vibrating ass. Wait, yeah. <laughs> when when Emika was here, the entire weekend was talking about Brazilian girls. <laughs> so like, you know that's it. So uh, John, so Brazilian girls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like every. I mean, oh, seriously, shit. like every like forty minutes, we would have a whole conversation. It was like really stimulating, really engaging. And we're talking about all of this like depth and like just juicy stuff. And then there would be a lull, and he's like, "Anyway, yeah, so Latinas. I think Brazil is." <laughs> yeah. We get it, dude. We're sharing our our appreciation for Latinas. <laughs> It was there was like some big realizations about the whole like Latina thing. It was spir- spiritual revelation. Spiritual revelations. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, we did touch on it on the last part. How like David talked about how like the uh, why does the Latin Latin culture have more sexual instinct? And he was like, the Aztec oh, right. culture or mythology has some some connection to uh, some Egyptian stuff that. Uh, integrate sexual instinct more and maybe the tropical climate also encourages more of an abundance mindset that is less like the anglo-saxon spso right capitalist just keep my own stuff and we care about who's got whose kid who's the father or mother of the kid you know that kind of stuff Mm. this this might get a little into uh race science (laughs) (laughs) but something i read and i don't know how accurate this is but I, i i think it was actually in something that was like scientific but it was it was something about how uh like there's curvier bodies generally speaking uh near the equator mm-hmm. and how the curvier body provides more surface area that like allows for heat regulation in a more efficient mm-hmm. way or something like that. So I don't know if that's true, right. but um 
you know, Tons of sexual type with a five fix. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and so like, like you know, our our dear Latinas, you know, like having the curvier bodies and stuff like that, like that might be part of it. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's not like there's any European country I can't think of any that's just churning out like curvier bodies. No, because like the when the when the body it like in colder climates when there's less curve it does something about keeping more heat in the core. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so that's why that's why if I you know again I don't know if I'm making like this is junk science or something like that, but it was like uh, you know describing how like Inuit bodies have like like they're they can be just kind of very not curvy mm-hmm. even if they get they're thick right and because it has something and and same thing with like just northern caucasian it's like um because it has something to do with heat distribution that's really yeah that's a really good insight so you're I've always wondered up your racism with science yes yes <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right let's get out of here all right, all right. later all right later y'all <laughs> Bye. Bye. Oh my God, bye. crazy conversation. <laughs> All right, bye, guys. Gelberi balyanak akışına bırak. Gelberi balyanak akışına bırak.